invite you now to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. And the words to which I would call your attention this morning, uh, we'll be looking specifically at verses 7 and 17, but we'll read beginning in verse 1. Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 13, verse 1. This is God's Word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the kindness that you have caused it to be preserved for us, for the strengthening of your church. I ask now, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ, that his glory would shine forth from your word and its preaching. We ask in his name. Amen. As we Look into the book of Hebrews. There are a lot of things that you probably know about it. We're not sure who wrote it. Maybe it was Paul. Maybe it was Apollos. Maybe it was Aquila. Maybe Timothy or somebody of that nature. We're not sure who it was written to exactly either. But what does come 
through to us very clearly from the book of Hebrews is the glory of Jesus Christ. You think of the early part of Hebrews in chapter 1 where he's the pre-incarnate one, the, the one through whom the glory of Jesus Christ shines. But there's something else that accompanies the book of Hebrews that, that may be sort of subtly interlaced in the message of the book, and that is the exaltation of of the church of Jesus Christ. I think it's important for us to give some time to thinking about the church. I think one of the things that, um, that maybe COVID revealed over the last few years is how, how little many esteem the church, wouldn't you say? Wasn't it very easy for, for some to totally forsake the meeting together of the body of Christ. And we seem to have forgotten that, that in fact it is God the Father who imparts health to His people. And that there's something more important to that. The spiritual health of the body of Christ is granted. It flows through this organized people. As we get toward the end of Hebrews, we find, in fact, I'd ask you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 22. I really need to get some glasses. <laughs> or some bigger text here, I think. Hebrews 12, 22. I want you to listen to these words well. Here, the writer's making a distinction. He, he reminded the people that before, in Exodus 19, the, the people of God went to a mountain. And when they stood and beheld that mountain, they were tempted to withdraw in fear because it was full of fire and thunderbolts and the sound of a trumpet, everything to fill them with fear. And the writer of Hebrews would say, look, the mountain hasn't gone away. The society hasn't gone away. Look what he says in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And skip down to verse 27. Uh, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Look, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. What is the, the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying that the kingdom of Jesus Christ has broken into our reality. Um, I was... I didn't have the opportunity to, to speak at Martha Kimmel's uh, graveside because of COVID. 
Um, but I, I did write a letter. And, and one of the things I wanted to remind the family of in that letter is, is that um, although our dear sister and mother in the faith, Martha Kimmel, has gone on from us, we remember that she hasn't left us. She's only, in the words of Samuel Rutherford, gone ahead of us to a far country. That every time we gather in corporate worship on the Lord's day, we gather with all the saints in heaven and in the angels, with the angels, we come to the heavenly Zion here, gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in this assembly, He imparts power and grace to His people. This is the place of the Lord's dominion. Christ bled and died for a certain people. In John 10, we read that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in history, this people has had various names. We could could go all the way back to Abraham. And and when Abraham was called in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God determined to, to bring about a visible body. In time, that that body would come to have the name sons of Jacob or sons of Israel or for short, Israel. Well, under the new covenant, the name began to change, didn't it? And so we find that that distinguishing themselves from ethnic Israel, it took on a new name and it, it became known as the bride of Christ or they were called the followers of the way. Or they became known in Antioch as as Christians. And and that's the name that carried on for for some time. And so in the early centuries, you you see people like Tertullian writing and saying, why why do you you castigate us? Because we, we take a name upon ourselves, the name Christian. Well, as time went on, that name evolved, and, and we have the, the, the Greek term kuriakon, which in the Scottish language became known as kirk, and in our language today, the word church. Kuriakon. It's a derivative of the Greek word kurios which is a name we have for Christ, which means Lord. Church literally means the place of the dominion of Jesus Christ. It is a commonwealth. It's not a dictatorship. It isn't a democracy. We refer to it as a commonwealth. It is a place where everybody works to good Together for the good of everybody else. Using the old English idea of wealth, the well-being. You come here seeking the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as we go to the book of Hebrews, that had a very profound meaning. You remember we've just gone through Hebrews 11, in which we talked about the hall of faith and and 12, and, and the active faith of, of these people, some were sawn in two. All of them were looking for something better. They were looking for a city that is to come. And now, in Jesus Christ, has broken through by the work of His Spirit. And you are partakers of it. 
You are partakers of the glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ in the here and now. You don't see it fully. But we're reminded in places as we go back in the early part of Hebrews. We're reminded of a a very precious truth. This truth. All things we learn in Hebrews 2 right now have been put in subjection to Jesus Christ. That's the reality. Everything has been put in subjection to Him. This is Matthew 28, 18, isn't it? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. But these believers, they they wrestled with the thing that you're probably saying in your own mind right now. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, do we? Nonetheless, nonetheless, the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ is a growing dominion. And it is particularly expressed in the church of Jesus Christ and And so we come, not to some really a a, a ragtag, disorganized thing, but the church of Jesus Christ is a definite thing. It has definite members who make a definite profession. We believe in a certain thing, don't we? We believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is the eternal son of God who took to himself a real body and a reasonable soul who as the son of God Uh, the, The eternal divine nature joined with the finite human nature died on a cross to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God. We make this faithful confession. This commonwealth has traditions, a culture. It has laws, the law of God and no other law. And we read throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that in this kirk, this place of the dominion of Christ, he has appointed certain leaders to lead in his place. Now, now, listen. (laughs) They are not vicarious Christs. The elders are not. They are stewards. Stewards of the bride of Christ. God has appointed men, we read in Ephesians 4, He's appointed men to lead this body on this pilgrimage, always looking to this kingdom, proclaiming the laws of God. And the last time that we, we met, we looked at 1 Peter 5, and we, verses 1 to 4, and talked about the obligations that those men have to the body of Christ, to, to sort of in flesh. Christ, as it were, to depict the good shepherd toward the sheep of Christ, to to show them His love, to to command them His commands. And this morning we look at at four uh, quick commands. The obligations of the body of Christ here, within this commonwealth. And there are four. The writer to the Hebrews... It says four things. Remember them. 
imitate them, obey them, and submit to them. Four things that the the body of Christ needs to know in terms of its obligation, its relationship to these men. One of the things that I love about membership in the Presbyterian Church is this. That it beautifully depicts the relationship between elder and member. When you join the church, you take a vow, don't you? On several points, you say, I promise... I promise to, uh, to support the, the work and the worship of the church. I promise to be there when we meet. Well, I'm going to be there. I promise to submit. I promise to submit to the government and the discipline of the church. I promise to do that. And then when a man that you elect becomes an elder, he makes a promise. You've made a promise to him. He makes a promise to you. Guess what? I'm not going to command you to do anything that the Bible doesn't tell me I can command you to do. I accept the doctrines of the Westminster Confession as faithful to Scripture. I accept the constraints that are placed upon me. I'm not going to lead according to my own whims or fancies. What Christ tells me I can command, that alone I will command. And so you see, in this way, it's, it's almost like a marriage relationship knits together the congregation to its leaders. Let's look quickly here at these four commands. Remember, imitate, obey, and submit. Go with me to Hebrews 13, 7 now. In light of all of this, as we come to the end, uh, this, the writer, he, he takes very literally that there's a real authority vested in, in him as a leader of the church, and he makes 20 commands. We're looking at just four of them. 20 commands as he closes the letter. The first in verse 7, remember your leaders. Literally, you're those who are overseeing you, watching over you. Remember them. Now, often we, we, we think of Paul, don't we? How Paul would say, God is my witness, how often I give thanks for you. Every time I remember you, I give thanks. And so we might take this as praying for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. And certainly that would be a good, good counsel. Pray for your leaders. But the idea here is simply keep them in mind. In verse 3 we read, um, remember those who are in prison. And there it's not telling you to pray for them. It's saying, think about what they're going through. Put yourself in his shoes as he's in prison. Think about what he's enduring. And find strength for your own life. For us that might be, think about the believers in Afghanistan. Think about the believers in North Korea. Think about the the believers in China who Sunday after Sunday put their lives on the line just to go to church. Just to have a single sheet of the Bible in their possession might cost them their life. Think about them. Well, here you are to have this same mindset about those who are your overseers. He says, especially those who spoke to you the word. It is God's will for you to develop a close 
and an endearing relationship with the men who are elders in the church. He wants you to do that. Why do you need to do that? Well, because he's given them to you as a source of grace, of encouragement, of comfort, sometimes of chastising. Come on, do the right thing, make the right decision. But especially as we look at this second command, you remember them, you call them to mind because you are to imitate them. Now, the idea here is mimicry. This is that very exasperating, exhausting game that children like to play with one another. Mom, he's mimicking me, he's imitating me, doing everything I do. That's the idea. You watch their lives, you see the course of their conduct, and you seek to imitate that. I want to be like that man, especially his faith. Uh, man, uh, when I've seen him endure trials and afflictions of life, and he is never wavering in his faith. He's persistent. He perseveres. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, you need to carefully consider. It's almost the idea of taking a magnifying glass or a microscope, of spending so much time with that individual, looking at his life, seeing how he goes through each season of life so that you can then say, that's how I ought to do it. The elder saying, look, I've got... I've got seven belt loops on my pants. Grab hold of one as we go through this trying time and we're going to get to the other side. Some look at this and they say, well, the end of his faith, uh, consider carefully the end of their faith, that, that perhaps what's happening here in this church or in these churches is they're experiencing a transition in leadership. This is looking back and he's saying, consider the end of their lives. What happened? Well, they died. Some of them were persecuted. Some of them were martyred. Consider that. And perhaps that's the case. But at the end of the day, what we understand is that it is Christ's will for there to be an endearing, a warm relationship between the elders and the flock of God. Why? Because it's their work to remind you of the love of Christ. It is not God's will for Christians to be on an island, to live life alone. He has given you gifts to contribute to this church and gifts that you need to receive from the church of Christ. And many of them through the elders. So I'd encourage you, how can you, how can you cultivate this remembrance? Well, be here. Especially when we have fellowships. We intentionally have engineered our Wednesday night fellowship so that you can come and enjoy a meal and sit around a table and get to know especially the godly leaders here. Engage them in conversation. Intentionally talk to your elders. If you have questions, how do we, what, how do we need to approach this matter? What's the, how do we have, uh, answer this situation? My kids are struggling in school. I'm having issues with my spouse. I don't know what to do. Call your elder.
I don't know how to read this Bible verse. Call your elder. Invite these men and their wives to your home. Know them. Love them. Remember them and imitate their faith. Thirdly, the third command, and I'm going to put these together as one, we are to obey and submit to our elders. We could pull these apart and, and we wax eloquent about what the word obey means and what the word submit means, but they're similes. They go together. Obey is, if, if we use this in the active sense, it would be persuade. Be persuasive in your speech. You want to bring somebody around to your way of thinking. Here, it's in the passive idea. Be persuaded. And so, obedience, the, the literal idea is listen to these men. What, what am I to listen to them do? Listen to them proclaim the word of God to you. God has not called them to rule uh, 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 based on their imaginations or what they think, or their cleverness of their wisdom, but to declare the word of God to you. Think about the illustration of the king of Israel. And and we use this from time to time. It's important. You know, God did not appoint a king in Israel to make up the laws for himself. His first duty was to write for himself a copy of God's law. And I think this is a great illustration of the elder. His work, especially as we gather and we sit as a session, the work that we are to do is to apply God's word. And God expects the the congregation to sit and to listen to them and to submit to them. Literally, this just means to yield. Paul in Galatians chapter 5, when they were dealing with the false teachers, he said, we did not yield to them, we did not submit to them at all. We did not give any ground. Instead, we, we stood firm. But the congregation's posture to her leaders is that they, they do give ground. To submit means voluntarily to place yourself under them. To put obey and submit together, maybe we would say it this way. You need to obey in action and in heart. Sometimes if you're, if you're like us, you are talking to your children about obedience. And there are three components to, and, to obedience. Um, immediate, complete, and with a happy heart. If you go away to be obedient and you're grumbling under your breath the whole time, that's not obedience. Grumbly obedience is disobedience. So the congregation is called here to obey and to submit uh, to its leaders, to the elders of the church. And why should you do this? He he gives you some reasons. Knowing that the body of Christ is called to be a reasonable body, to think things through. You you, you want to uh, neglect comparing the commands of the session to the scriptures. He gives you reasons. Duty accountability, and advantage. One, these men keep watch over your soul. They are diligently watching over your soul. These are men who lose sleep over the spiritual condition of the people in this body. 
And secondly, we see that they will be held accountable. Remember that in 1 Peter chapter 5, we said that, that men who rule well in the church, that they would be presented, 1 Peter 5, 4, with the unfading crown of glory. Well, guess what? When those men appear before Christ, they will give an account. How did you shepherd this one? How did you love this one? How did you preach my word to this one? How did you comfort this one? How did you seek to know the other one? And so this to be, I think, is some, in some form an assurance. Don't worry about, about that one who doesn't rule well. Who doesn't seem to take this seriously. Who doesn't care for you the way he ought to. There is accountability. Or if you think that he's not being faithful, studying the word and applying the word, he's depending on his own wisdom, he'll be held accountable. All rulers, we remember, whether they are civil rulers or ecclesiastical rulers, are under Christ. And they will have to give an answer. And I think... One of the practical aspects of this is it helps us understand that church membership means something significant, doesn't it? Are the elders of this church, do you think that they will be held accountable for the people they don't know about? The people who are wandering out around in space out here? Just the people of the whole town? No, Christ will hold them accountable for specific people. The people that they knew the people who had come into a formal arrangement with them who said, I'm a member of this church. I appreciate what Guy Waters has to say here. When we think about what souls will a man have to give account for? The church's elders, he says, or leaders, are those who have oversight over the souls of the congregation and at the judgment day must give an account to Christ for those souls. But unless the elders are in a defined relationship with a specific group of Christians, how can they oversee them? Much less give an account for them. Without church membership, the elders of the church would be unable to fulfill their God-given task. The third reason is that it is for your advantage. Literally, this means it wouldn't be profitable to you. Your obedience to them and your submission to them is for joy. It's for your advantage. It's for the mutual good of the church. The harmony and the bliss of the church looks like this. The body of Christ listening to her elders, um, hanging on their words, comparing their words to the Bible, making sure they're not leading us somewhere astray. There, there can be accountability in that way. But remembering that Christ has given these men to the church for the joy and the good and the welfare, the well-being of the church. Christ's will is for the members of the church to remember, call them to mind, to imitate, to obey, and submit to their leaders. And so today, I, I encourage you to commit to cult, cultivate a love for these men. 
an endearing affection for them. I love that man. Recommit to carefully observing them, especially their faith, as their faith enables them to weather the storms of life and their faith in Christ. As they proclaim God's word to you, give thanks for them and pray that God will add to their boldness to proclaim the word of God and carefully consider that God has given these men real authority to which he expects obedience and submission. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you that we are a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And as a healthy and a divine institution, you have provided men, men to, uh, to, to nurture the flock of Christ, not to, not to stand over them, uh, to get their own selfish gain out of it, but to see to the welfare of the sheep. Help us to have a, a mutually loving relationship here at New Covenant. For the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.